0: This is the Minips and Sips podcast featuring uh, Dr. Brandon Cruz and myself, Dr. Jeremy Boyd. Today, we're going to be talking about plantar fasciitis, which we know um, for a lot of clinicians, unfortunately for a lot of individuals out there, it can be a pesky uh, thing to treat and get full resolution of. So I figured based off our last podcast, when we talked about the ankle, we didn't get to talk about this so much. So figure we kind of dive into it. What's our uh, examination and our treatment approach for uh, plantar fasciitis? Hopefully, help out some people along the way. Before I keep talking, let me pass off to my partner in crime, Brandon. How's it going?
1: Going well. Thanks, Jar. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we're gonna be looking at uh, plantar fasciitis and I guess just plantar pain in general, mm. uh, as sometimes. Um, it's not plantar fasciitis, so we'll, we'll dive into that mm. in a little bit. But, Jer, something I forgot to bring up last, uh, last podcast when we were talking about foot and ankle, um, uh, before we forget, is the cuboid whip. Jeez, and uh, I know that's, uh, you know, one of your favorite manips, uh, and techniques for a few different reasons. Um, and I think you've, um, tried to rebrand the, the name of it, so you want to dive into that before we oh, yeah. Away?
0: I really think it should be like the Boyd part should be we should take out the i and put y and uh, simply I mean it is my favorite manip when I do it. It's pretty much always, always successful. Um, yeah you have all the all the techniques out there that's probably my favorite why not because I'm that full of myself and it kind of has my last name in it, but my first uh, my first eval. Uh, well, my first to fill was someone with cuboid syndrome. Um, so eventually we did do that technique. So um, why I do love it too is uh, when implemented like appropriately, not that like, oh yeah, it's ankle pain. Let me go and do a cuboid whip. Um, I do it when it is appropriate. When I compare the cuboid on the non-involved to that side, the pain is at the cuboid region a lot of people with lateral ankle sprains or even some plantar pain on the yeah. on that plantar aspect of the cuboid um you start going and trying to mobilize and like, oh that's where i have my pain or that's making things more uncomfortable uh, i get i mean fireworks come out of my ears i'm like i get super hyped up and i'm like oh we're gonna we're gonna blow this cuboid right up and i kind of talk about it do a cuboid whip and that you know, there's few home run hits. I mean, if you get more acute clients, you can do more home run hits with your manipulations. sometimes uh, catching things and kind of getting that narrow physiological reset uh, before things start to develop of changing in motor patterns and, you know, more sensitization of things. But uh, for those more subacute or chronic, the, if you hit that cuboid, um, when you know no one else has uh you know you get patient for life there and uh yeah I've, i haven't had one in a while again i use it when i need to but uh man when i i get i get super excited when that, that happens i get like people rock coming around the clinic and mean yeah, everyone watch this i mean this this one's gonna be money and um definitely my favorite manip and uh yeah sometimes do use it for people who potentially been diagnosed with plantar fasciitis but uh yeah. Anybody want any lessons on the cuboid whip? You know, feel free to come by my clinic. I'll, I'll teach that for days. But, uh, well, you, make a,
1: you make a big show of it there. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, that's my you money. I got, got it. But oh, yeah. it was, I think you had a post on it. Uh, uh-huh. actually, would you mind just reposting it for, for the audience on your uh, one of your pages, the trifecta or the decent doctor? Oh, um, yeah. Just for uh, the listeners out there. Oh I yeah, the the Nips and like. sips too. That's my goal yeah, yeah. for uh
0: this upcoming fall is uh not just simply put up our posts of oh uh, yeah, we we put up a a new podcast, but um both Brandon and I, um obviously our love is for manips or manual therapy altogether for sure, uh implementing that with our with our treatment plan. But um We've taken a lot of videos. Brandon's done some great stuff, uh, put up a whole library of, of mobilizations and manipulations on his site. He's putting out a couple um, downloads for self mobilizations and those sort of things. So my goal for the fall is to really, you know, put out a couple on minutes and sips. Just also give you guys some educational resources. So more than just, uh, let me just know when these guys are posting up things, but, That'll probably be the first one being that I'm biased that I'm going to put up. So maybe maybe a whole montage of just cuboid, cuboid minutes. If you really want a funny, actually a really funny cuboid whip, because I loved it so much. I tried doing it with my, my former company, great company, BSR physical therapy, uh, kind of where I grew up as a physical therapist. But I was trying to implement some of the things that we do at Trifecta, my company with them. And you can see me trying doing a cuboid whip. Uh, and it was a little a little choppy. Now I look at it, not not as sexy as it is now. But uh, you ever watch uh, the Jackass series where uh, um what's it, what's his name? Shoot, the main Johnny, guy,
1: Johnny Knoxville. Johnny okay. Knoxville.
0: He's like, I'm Johnny Knoxville, and this is Jackass. This is it's almost like I'm yeah, Johnny I mean, Boyd, and I this is a like, uh, cuboid
1: okay. whip. Nice. Uh,
0: yeah, so if you go PSR, if you scroll all the way down you may see a young young Jeremy doing the cuboid whip. Um, I like that. You should bring that back. I should bring I, back, I bring. It. If I can save it, yeah, I, I will. Or I might it might be actually on my phone. And this we're going back probably like four or five years at this point. But no, I'm talking about starting
1: it. We're like on all your new techniques now, you should just be like, I'm I'm the decent doctor, or, I'm Jeremy Boyd and here's <laughs> and then whatever technique you're doing that day. Oh that yeah. and the funny thing that was unintentional. My mentor Tom
0: Michaels, as we mentioned before, he's just like, You sound like the guy from Jack. <laughs> so I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I'm watching. He's like, I'm Dream Boy, and this is the Cube boy whip. I'm like, oh, man. So yeah, you know what? We'll bring it back. Uh yeah, that's 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 not too bad. the uh, decent doctor and the cube boy whip. All right, all right, I can dig it. I can dig it. But we'll do that. Um I may not do that. We have some, you know, previous videos and sort of stuff, but anything new, anything that you wanna see, um you know, me and Brandon have you know a pretty good, extensive uh, arsenal of manual techniques. If you're ever interested, I'll be more than happy to you know demonstrate, put up a fresh video of that. But we'll start doing that. But um, before I get talking too much about that, um, I guess we should talk about, well, in regards to our sips, because we always got to keep up with our sips. I am still drinking the uh, the one night stand at my. My student, uh, the, the stout from uh, Double Nickel, uh, finishing off the Crowler. So 32 ounces, 8.5% uh, later. Feeling it a little bit, not going to lie. A little it, that's
1: your breakfast, essentially. That's a, so. It's a
0: breakfast stout. So that's a breakfast beer is a beautiful thing on a Saturday. So let's let's have at it. Brandon, are you uh, still on the Buchanan's there?
1: Yeah, I'm on my uh, Buchanan's on the rocks and, and my cup of coffee here on the side. That uh, I'm working on, so kind of like an Irish coffee. There we go, uh, but separated. So, still, still rocking that. There we go. Um, So, before we get
0: too sloshed here, let's uh, let's start talking about plantar fasciitis. um, Kind of our progression with those sort of things. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: No, you can get started.
0: Okay. Um, So, yeah. uh, I think we've mentioned before you may have heard previous podcasts I'll talk about things that kind of plagued my career or play what I mean by play this they it took a long time or I never got full results from my clients they're frustrating um, planner fasciitis was probably one of those ones of the foot and ankle uh, for me um, you know initially I was very yeah I was again I always liked manual therapy uh may have not been very efficient at it initially but i always liked it so um you know when i first uh, i was very you know obviously referral based with scripts and those sort of things someone came in with a script said plant fasciitis all right so i was just assumed the plantar fascia just got pissed off for whatever reason and my job was to calm it down so um, you know, I did a lot of, I don't even know if my examination was that thorough to even really figure out the why behind it. Um, you know, it was more just a concept as it, was, it was annoyed tissue. So reduce. I do soft tissue work, um, you know, maybe you throw in back like then it was gua sha, So it's some form of instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization, which I still use now. Um, and that might have been probably the brunt of things. Hell, I even think I did like forms of ionto, uh, not ionto, uh, phonophoresis. Phonophoresis, yeah. Phonophoresis um, on it. And then it was plantar fascia, plantar fascia stretching, um, you know, great toe stretching for the rest of the remainder of the session. And that's probably, oh yeah, throwing some calf stretching. I may mean, evolved into some general mobilization manipulations as I started to see those were more effective than my soft tissue techniques as I started to grow, but still kind of nonspecific in the region. Wasn't any rhyme or reason. Um, and then, uh, now I'm kind of looking at it again as a whole body approach, you know, starting based off of kind of what we talked about last time, looking above, looking at the proximal sources um, are there poor mechanics already kind of driving down or falling flat foot into the, into that arch? Um, is it potentially neurodynamics? Do I still do soft tissue and some work, some ankle mobilizations? Is there, you know, dorsiflexion loss or those sort of things? We'll go more into that, but, um, yeah, it's kind of how I kind of started off. And yeah, I would, I would say most people would probably, you know, they felt better you know, you start working that area, you know, they probably from what I remember felt better leaving the clinic, uh, short, the short stretches. term, but it was, they come back and it was right back. So there was no in-between session changes. We'll always look for that test retest, which is a kind of a within session change, but the most effective is that in-between session change. So yes, was I making it better if they went, off to work that day, being a waitress or a teacher and standing, yes, were symptoms slightly better, yes, but the very next day when they woke up and they took those first steps out of, the, out of their bed, boom, it was rare all over again, um so that was kind of I need to to evolve to try and figure out not just to manage things we're not just management therapists we're you know we are there to try and look for a cure of the cause for, for our condition. So that's kind of how things started for me. What about you, Brandon?
1: You know, I'm very glad you said some of the stuff you said. It's like, we're we're on the same page. We didn't even talk about this prior. And uh, I I think I was with you before, or I don't think I I definitely was with you before. And I think a lot of people uh, still do what you do and unknowingly um, it's just, you know, they have plantar fasciitis and we're just going to attack the plantar fasciitis or plantar fascia, I should say. Um, and you hit the nail on the head with what's the why? What Why are these people having it? Um, and yes, granted, a lot, a lot of the people, I guess the majority of people playing fasciitis are actually the overweight population, non-athletic, non-active people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, taking a step back to even before the why is, can we appropriately differentially diagnose and not just take a face value of, Oh, I have pain on the bottom of my foot or, Oh, the physician gave you a script for plantar fasciitis. Uh, and we're just going to treat that area. But you know, what are some things that, what else can it be? Uh, and let just mm-hmm. go down a short list here, just off the top of my head of, you know, could it be a stress fracture? Could it be a bone bruise? Could there be some bursitis in the area? Um, is it maybe a tarsal tunnel? Uh, off of tarsal tunnel could it be a referred pain from radiculopathy or referred pain from the low back, um, whether it, it's somatic or or nerve related? Could it be something like Severs disease? Uh, you know that we need to to look out for. Uh, and the last podcast, it was can it be the flexor hallucis longus that that's creating some pain? Like what is causing it, and do we have the appropriate diagnosis? Uh, which is then going to help us appropriately treat this. So I think that's a good starting point. And I I think we get too caught up in just, oh, it's plantar fasciitis. I know how to treat this. And like you said, it's like a stem to it. Um, It's a lot of direct treatments to the fascia itself. And it's like, just take a step back and it's like, what are we doing and why? And and I think we just need to ask ourselves that question first, because as my treatment has evolved, I do less and less to the actual plantar fascia itself. And I'm looking all the way around it, ex- you know, pretty much except the plantar fascia, um, mm-hmm. you know, looking at great toe. I know we talked about it before, looking at foot mobility, looking at motor control of the foot. Are they pronating too soon? Calcaneal mobility, Dorsiflexion mobility. Um, can we ch- test the the sciatic tibial nerve? Uh, off the tibial nerve comes the plantar, medial and lateral plantar nerve. Uh, do we look at maybe the sural nerve? Uh, do we, should we do some P to A's to the low back? Uh, could we do some press-ups to the low back and see if that creates it? Uh, you know, a lot else, you know, other factors that should be looked at uh, aside from just jumping right into that, that plantar fascia. So, you know, I just want to challenge everybody to take a step back and, and question what they're actually doing
0: yeah i my i'll quote my my mentor tom michaels i'll bring him. we we'll have to bring him on to this he would love this uh but he he explained to me and he was watching me and i again i was doing the things that i was talking about before he's like i believe he used his inert tissue the plantar fascia is inert tissue it's not non-contractile tissue and so it just doesn't suddenly think all right well, it's doing something and we're going to just get annoyed with it. So it's never, ever the cause of an issue. doesn't, doesn't suddenly think, let's get pissed off. There's got to be some sort of thing. And he always used a driver. He's like, what is the driver of everything? What's, you know, what's essentially the cause of things. So uh, once he started like challenging me with that um, and like, I remember I was just like, like, went from like, I was probably holding the guasha in my hand and like, all right, let me start looking at the other sources. And as you're mentioning those sort of things. And as you mentioned, like PAs to people, I mean, maybe my examinations are too long and those sort of things. I don't know. I mean, I have the luxury of in my own clinic. I can do those sort of things, but my lower extremity clients, I I don't care. Even, you know, a knee surgery and those sort of things. It takes me at least for a quick scan, Um, but for most individuals, um, I can do a quick PA assessment of their lumbar spine, at least put a decent enough load for them to let me know. If they're like, "Oh, that aches, then maybe I'll dive more into it, but I can at least take a quick look, and you'd be surprised of what you hit, even if it's a whole foot issue or anything like that, what you can potentially hit in the lumbar spine. And what can it cause distally? So it's as you were saying, just you know, take a look at it all and um you know, make sure that you're you're treating it. So Brandon, I guess going off of those things, um, I know we were talking about some neurodynamics and those sort of things, or if there's anything else you want to talk about in the previous thing, but um how would you differentially diagnose some of those things that you are mentioning before?
1: Yeah. So, uh, just backpedaling, cause you brought up, uh, you know, experience you had with one of your mentors and I just want to share one. I had uh, a fellowship weekend intensive of the lower extremity. We had the opportunity to branch out with Tom McBoyle, which is, uh, he's a, a legend in, in the field. And I really enjoyed the, uh, the day I was able to spend, uh, or the group was able to spend with him, but we had the opportunity to actually go into a live cadaver lab over at Regis university. um, and dissect, uh, the knee down on, on, uh, a cadaver. And he did an unbelievable job. Um, I, I might have it on video, so I'll try and post it if I can find it that, you know, he dissected the foot and we looked at the plantar fascia and it, like you said, it is just dense tissue there. And there's a lot of fat in the area and there's actually a lot of nerve endings in the area, um, where the fascia can, a lot of times be blamed for it but it's not the actual site so you know spinning off that i, I always start with um well, most of the time i start with uh, screening out the lumbar if it's anything lower extremity i start top down my top mm-hmm. down approach um deductive reasoning i guess that would be you know you're you're deducing things from your examination So I'm going to start with my range of motion testing, you know, forward bending, backward bending, side bending. Quadrant testing is huge. Mm -hmm. Quadrant testing with overpressure, can we load that in a motion, um, you know, whether it's quadrant testing into extension or often overlooked quadrant quadrant testing into flexion as well. Um, With overpressure, can we load it? Um, Asking things like at what point in the day or what point in your stance does it bother you? Uh, I guess, yeah, a true hallmark would be for plantar fasciitis is those first few steps in the morning, but then it should ease up. But if somebody's getting pain throughout the day as well, um, while they're moving and once things are warmed up, maybe it's something else. Uh, so then, you know, I'll check that. I'll get them on the table prone and I'll do my P to A's. I'll do my central P to A's. I'll do my bilateral transverse P to A's and I'll do my unilateral P to A's. And this doesn't take long. Um, and like you said, putting some good pressure into it, those grade fours, grade four plus, 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 plus you know, uh, if you're really into the, the Maitland um, f- protocols, uh, I add in those press ups and you'll be surprised. Like some people will be like, that's my pain. Uh, and if you if they say that's my pain, I mean, you could pretty much like bet your money. It's it's the uh, the lumbar spine um you know after that i'll flip them over go supine and we'll test out some neurodynamics um i'll start more proximally i'll try and isolate the hip and lumbo pelvic region with hip flexion adduction internal rotation uh we'll see what kind of tension that brings on then we can add in some knee extension so i go piece by piece with my neurodynamics mm. um and i think we had a podcast on that maybe uh, if not, well, uh, we can always circle back to it and make a more in depth one now that I've you know, been playing around with it even more, but, and then I'll add in the dorsiflexion and you mentioned it last podcast, uh, the foot and ankle of adding the PIP and Sid and TED. So for you guys that may not know, be familiar with that. T- these are acronyms for testing each, uh, nerve, uh, in the lower extremity. So your TED is, uh, stands for tibial, evers and dorsiflexion. And you want to try and do it in that order. You want to evert first and then add dorsiflexion. Um, And sometimes you could switch it around. You could do dorsiflexion and then add eversion. That person might have different um, pain or different sensations or different symptoms depending on the order you do something. So don't just jump into, oh, all right, tibial's this and do all the testing at once. Uh, Begin to layer and add in segments of your treatment. Uh, The more variables you can kind of control in your evaluation, uh, the more specific you're going to try and be with with what you do. Um, And that's something I've noticed over the past uh, year or two. And I think EIM is very big into that. Like They're probably a little OD with it sometimes, but they look at every variable that you can change in a person uh, when testing something. And I like it. It's good. When, especially when you're first learning because it makes you be methodical and it makes you think through everything you're doing. It's kind of exhausting, actually, mm-hmm. uh, me- mentally to, to do that in the beginning, but it, it really helps. So uh, I was on TED, right? So tibial, mm-hmm. eversion, dorsiflexion. PIP is your plantar flexion or your uh, peroneal for inversion and plantar flexion. Mm-hmm. And then SID is looking at um, sural nerve and inversion and, and dorsiflexion. Uh, something i have noticed as well with uh these you know people with plantar pain whether it's plantar fasciitis or just plantar pain itself is that calcaneal mobility so i'll get someone side lying and do a lateral calcaneal glide i'll do it with the foot in or the foot and ankle in some plantar flexion up in neutral and then up in dorsiflexion you'll see how quickly that um, calcaneal glide is limited up in neutral and dorsiflexion and, and think about it, that's pretty much when their pain is right when they're transitioning from onto mid stance and off of mid stance to heel off and toe off um so look at assessing that i then add in some dorsiflexion with it so again looking at three components calcaneal mobility uh with the components of dorsiflexion in three four five different ranges and then adding great toe extension with each of those ranges. I mean, that, that's like a nine step process right there. Mm. So what about you? What, what are you looking at?
0: Um, Yeah, probably actually, I mean, that's, that's pretty in depth, um, compared to even, I, I'll be honest, uh, more than, than what I do. And now I the beauty of this podcast is I get to pick up some clinical pearls here. Um, but yes, you know, similar things, um, of of looking at those those motions and um kinda of playing around with some things especially the nerve. Um I don't I don't think I go as regimented as that is in like okay you know step by step and I, I do go step by step but I would say honestly I was like, oh uh for Ted and I'll probably just merge eversion dorsiflexion versus kinda of doom them both separately now i'm like oh maybe i should play around with that um but yeah uh always i'll always play around with those sort of things and then um see if i can make any impact also like play around with the neck as well as we're doing those sort of things as like i'm a final test um to see if it really can get those if it, if it really does modify any of the symptoms in those um and then yeah just you know checking out how they move um with all that stuff so um i guess kind of talking about you know some of those things and you were mentioning like the first step um in the the morning and everything what's your uh what's your opinion on night splints
1: um i'll have some patients do it uh especially if you know what we're doing in the beginning after after a session or two, if, I, if they're not getting some relief, it's like, okay, maybe we need to go down a different route. So that's another thing, not being able to um, quickly change plans and quickly, um, you know, digest what the patient's telling you and be aware of your own biases and being able to acknowledge your biases and then be able to switch off them. I, I think that's huge. So for some patients, I have done them. Um, hmm. It's like okay, maybe this plantar fascia just needs to be stretched, whether it's for you know sensitivity purposes to desensitize them, or maybe we're we're stretching that nerve, prolonged, Maybe they need that, or whatever other mechanism that may be going on. Um, I, I think there, if you look at what the the APTA's CPG for for plantar fasciitis, uh, what grade did they give it? I think it's like a, a B. Um, Actually an A. Uh so I mean if you want to go by the evidence, they're suggesting to do that for anywhere from one to three months. Um but if not that, I recommend patients to you know before they get up and start weight bearing, can while they're in bed, just stretch out their foot a little bit. Can you do some mm. windlass or windless test uh or windless stretches? So for all you out there it's stretching the big toe. Uh, Repeatedly Mm -hmm. into extension. I take it a step further and I have them do the all all the toes, mine as well. Um, I maybe teach them some self mobilizations to the calcaneus that they can do uh, real quick, and you know have them do that for you know a quick minute or two, and then get up and walk. And I've had some good success with that. Again, that's anecdotal. I don't have a a study for that one, but uh, you know (laughs) that's some of the stuff I've done. Uh, but, you know, it shouldn't be discounted because part of the three pillars is, is clinician experience. And mm-hmm. uh, for all you new grads out there who are or even, um, you know, students or you know, clinicians that have been out there, um, you know, our experience uh, is part of evidence-based practice. Um, and it's something you could fall back on if you have some experience under you. Obviously, that pendulum swings depending on where you are. Uh, you know, some of the new grads don't have that experience, so they have to go more off of podcasts like this or reading articles for that experience. Um, but the, the opposite is true. Some of those people with 15, 20 years of experience, they're just maybe might be stuck in the ways and then just be like, Oh, it works for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, uh, actually a mentor during my residency. Um, and that was his, his kind of reasoning. You know, I wanted to be challenged during my, my mentor, my mentoring hours, and I wanted to have fruitful discussions. And, you know, I would bring to the table some articles and some of this. And, and you know, my experience is, you know, eclectically. And he was like, oh, I've just always done it. It works for me. I have 16 years of experience. It was kind of arrogant about it. And mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't do too many more hours with him after that. I just, it just wasn't what I was looking for. But that can't be your, your crutch. It's worked mm-hmm. for me in the past. Because what happens when it doesn't work for you, then what? Uh, mm-hmm. You can't just put it on the patient. So I'm kind of tangenting off now, but um, no, no, no. yeah. What, what are your, what are your thoughts on, I just want to be able to, you know, just share some experiences and, and no, give, give a breath and depth for our audience. But yeah, what are your thoughts on a night splint? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the
0: evidence kind of supports that. Um, there, I, I believe there's a, a modification. I was looking for it. One student brought it up to me. It was, there is a specific test to determine if a night split would be beneficial. Um, And I'll try to look that up um, as we're, we're doing this would be beneficial or not for, because some people they're very cumbersome. The, the overall compliance of uh, in my anecdotally uh, in like clients have had it or have been prescribed it. uh, It's pretty poor. Um, And you, I mean, I don't want to wear anything. Uh, Shit. I don't even want to wear shorts to bed. (laughs) <laughs> let alone this thing that freaking brings my toe up and it's big and it's clunky and those sort of things. So overall compliance is, you know, is, is the big thing. So um, I believe it is some sort of, you know, component of the windlass test was, um was kind of a modification found out that if this relieved pain, then you may want uh, to, you know, recommend those sort of things. So, I always tell people I mean yeah, if it definitely makes it better and they're in those first couple steps and that's what we're we're looking for based off of like what you're saying, Brandon. You think, all right, it's those first couple, couple steps, but if it starts to develop later on in the day then we have to think of other things. But if that's a, it those first it takes an hour warm up in the morning, I'm like listen, then yeah, you may need to to wear that. Um and then that's when we can start like playing around with taping and those sort of things as well. Um but yeah, as uh yeah, I mean, they just they they really need to make better ones. I mean, they have the sock ones, but those uh, those aren't the most fun things to wear as well. So if well,
1: you can, oh, what gonna
0: say? I mean, if you can find a way around them or kind of fabricate something, whether it's taping or really emphasize stretching beforehand, then then that's probably get better compliance than, than, uh, than the, the socks or the, the night sports.
1: How do you handle patients who have bought it already been wearing it and then ask you your opinion, and your advice? Cause that, I think that's an important role that we have as clinicians is uh, being able to be, uh, I guess, I don't want to say that voice of reason, but give you know, a true accurate medical uh, opinion. Um, to our patients
0: this is where I'm like yeah if it's you know essentially if it's working for you if it's really making an improvement when you get up then you need to do it then you need I mean, once if, it, if you're like you wake up and you know shit hits the fan like you wake up late you know your clothes are wrinkled and sort of stuff it throws up for your whole freaking day so imagine waking up and your first couple steps suck um so if there's something you can do to kind of you know mitigate that or you know make that better those sort of things yeah it's something you definitely want to explore but if it's someone's like i've tried it they prescribed it to me and it's not doing anything but the doctor wants me wearing it for you know six more weeks i'm like well how long have you done it for you know if it's like they've done it once and they took it off in the middle of night because they did not like it then I'm like, yeah, right, I try it one more time. I mean, I as I grow as a therapist, I, I start to truly appreciate more of the, you know, involvement into proper sleep hygiene, nutrition, those sort of things. So if it's coming to the point where you can't sleep with these things, it's just throwing you off and it's keeping you up all night and you're cranky and those sort of things. Then I'm gonna say, Listen, we need to find a different solution for you because you sleeping and recovering um we know individuals that don't sleep as much their pain levels will start to rise you know i'm like listen, bag it we'll we'll figure something else out but if it's not really making an improvement i'm like listen we need to start diving
1: into other things but uh what about you brandon yeah agreed uh the more i've gone through and this is a little, little golden nugget or clinical pearl is to and i was talking about biases before Regardless if you're a clinician out there, whether you agree or disagree with the splint, and this goes beyond just the splinting topic, um, not discrediting the patient's efforts uh, that they've put into their care, uh, especially the ones that tend to be a little bit more nervous or anxious or have some more of those yellow, um, yellow flag signs. Um, and that's where you have that discussion, or like you said, is it helping? Is it not helping? And um, you know, if they don't like it, you know, ask them their opinion. Do you like it? If they don't like it, say get rid of it. It's not helping. No problem. Um, If they like it, or if they went to a physician and the physician recommended it, and they just started wearing it, it you know maybe it's all right. Let's let's give it a couple more days and, and see how how you feel with it. But if they've been wearing it six weeks straight and have have had no change. Well, then chances are it's not going to work. And it's just mm-hmm. being able to kind of ebb and flow with that conversation and respect what the patient has has tried to do instead of just saying, no, those things are stupid uh, or saying there's no evidence that supports that um, because, not, you know, it's, and I, I've done that, too, especially early in my career. You know, I think I'm being an evidence based practitioner by saying, you know, reciting the research to them. But, you know, with that is patient values. What if the patient really, really wants it? Or what if the, the person that told him to get it is a, a family member or a family friend doctor or something? And you just basically shit it on them. Um, so, you know, how can we control that conversation um in, in more of a polite way for the to out of respect for the patient? And, mm-hmm. you know, no harm, no foul. You know, if. If you're doing all the right things treatment-wise, that's evidence-based and they're getting better and they feel like the night split's helping them, then, you know, it's no, no sweat off anyone's back. So, you know, throw it in. Uh, I guess I had a, a story I was mentoring the other day and we're uh, rehabbing somebody with uh, some, you know, I guess dynamic instability stuff, um, just some motor control uh, pain and she asked for uh stim, stim, and heat one day. She's like, when am I going to get that stuff? And, you know, we educated her, you know, she's doing better um, with what we're doing, but it was, you know, it was just a compromise. It was like, Hey, if you want it, we'll give it to you at the end of the session. Mm-hmm. Um, and We'll see how you feel. Um, you know? So we kind of gave her both, both tunes the last 10 minutes, gave her some heat and stim. Um, the next day she came in, you know, the next session she came in, we asked her and she was like, you know what? I don't really need it. I don't think mm-hmm. it added any more to it. So you you know you're kind of guiding them to make the decisions themselves. Yeah. Um. And I you know I did everything else I wanted to do in the session, and she wanted some 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 stem. It's not killing anybody to to no. give her some you know ten minutes five minutes worth of stem at the end. And I uh, you know I think it goes a long way in just kind of helping the patient um, you know along in their rehab process.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think Bill Egan um, is apparently a master of. I don't know if he even gives it to, but I I worked with Ernie Gamble, who was with his fellowship, did hours with Bill, and he's very, very kindly guided people away if they wanted like ultrasound and stuff. He was able to like guide people away from. He's like, yeah, and just not in like throwing evidence sort of thing in the face. Just in his own way, and his calm, cool personality, managed to get people away from it if he wanted it to. But then I remember a story from Scott, who's working on some guy's back, and um, I'm talking about Scott Burns, one of yeah. our uh, advisors yeah. and mentors from the uh, residency. I remember this story. And the guy just kept talking about ultrasound for his low back, which is, you know, most people will slap people's hands for that if they did that. And, uh, the guy, he was doing better, but he kept saying it and Scott did it. And the very next session, the guy was like, I'm good. I don't need anymore. So it goes into that patient expectations. Um, something I always ask my clients, is there anything that you can think of that would make them better? Um, and you get certain stuff like that. And, uh, yeah. Um, you know, if they mention it, you know, it, it certainly doesn't hurt. It just, just don't make that your primary treatment when it comes to those passive modalities of ultrasound, stem, ice, heat, fluidotherapy, and those sort of things. Uh, just, you know, make sure you get all your stuff done. And then who cares if they're sitting on it for a couple minutes at the end of the session. Um, I didn't even Good. know you had had heat up there, Brandon. I, thought, uh,
1: I don't. This was at the place that I'm mentoring at
0: oh okay okay yeah because because
1: okay. my my office i would just be like uh i don't have it you know you feel yeah. free to do it at home type of deal um but yeah so this is other place so yeah you compromise but yeah bill bill's like a master manipulator and yeah you, you don't even know it yeah <laughs> What what's that what's that movie dinner for schmucks you ever seen that no oh man you gotta watch it because it um, mm. and he, there's like a whole dinner scene at the end where he's like manipulating the guy's mind. Um, that's like, that's, that's, that's uh, Bill. Bill. I mean, not in the nicest way. As yeah. Well. Bill's um, the man. Yeah, he is. So, um, but yeah, Scott, I... the Scott story. I remember Scott was like, at least when he was telling the story, he was like angry about it. Cause he was doing like the most evidence-based treatment and manual therapy and exercises and education. And he finally like gave in to, uh doing it and the guy was like yeah i'm better it was ultrasound and scott was like yeah it was nothing nothing else i did it was all those sounds. So,
0: ultrasound yeah. and sometimes that's it. that's the power yeah. of that placebo effect is
1: you, you know what uh we had a story here i am not have to cut you off about the placebo no? but i actually had a I had an intern Jim, great great intern just graduated just got a job down in the philadelphia area so hopefully he listens to this one but we had a patient older lady uh, in her 60s, but very active, vibrant lady. Um, and she had plantar fasciitis, or we thought it was. Um, but then, you know, we're digging. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't appear uh, initially off the initial eval that it was uh, lumbar or nerve-related, but we kept digging a little bit after a few sessions of not getting the results we wanted and, and just kind of doubled down on treating, um, you know, doing some sciatic and tibial nerve glides and some lumbar treatment. And she was like, that's my pain. So, you know, Jim's working on her and mobilizing her and stuff. And uh, she leaves and she comes back the next session. And she's like, yeah, I haven't had any pain since the last session. But I think it's been the weather because the weather spiked. Uh, This was around the the fall, uh, the springtime. So it was like cold and crummy. And then we had like two or three days where it was like 80 degrees. She's like, yeah, it was definitely the weather. And uh, (laughs) Jim... Jim's eyes almost balls out of his head. He was like, Yeah, that, that's it. It wasn't it wasn't anything I did <laughs> and said that to her. Um, so it was pretty funny, uh reminiscing, but yeah, that's not, you know, finish what you were saying about the placebo effect.
0: Oh yeah, Um we know that we have uh so much into like the placebo effect and if someone says that something is gonna make them better or anything like that, just, just go with it uh i was i was at that point with like scott where i was resistant to it i only wanted to do evidence-based and you gotta understand evidence-based practice or medicine is a bell curve there's things it's just the average for it's just the the top of that bell curve where it's the most individuals will benefit the you know the left side of it is like people didn't benefit at all and the right side a lot of people you know killed it with it and um so you'll you'll get certain things to just doesn't add up to the evidence and you know if they want crazy things like you want i've done things with like taping where it's just like i know i'm not really taping anything i'm just literally i'm not even pulling any tension on it at all or uh hell i lasered someone once without turning the machine on and they felt better with it uh, that was that was my first place I worked at no one mentored me there so they a patient I was it was kind of a, a free-for-all you took whoever patients came to you and on it said they lasered and all the other clinicians were busy so I didn't have the heart to talk to any of them so I was like it might have been a plan fasciitis patient now that I think about it this is this is way back this is like my first month of working and uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't forget to turn the damn thing on, and patient felt better with it. So you got you got to respect that placebo effect. Um, if that's what they want, just just give it to them. Just make sure. Besides that, you're doing everything else that you need to do. But it's a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, uh, the brain brain controls the whole thing. So, but. We don't want to get too much into that. Um, I guess we should kind of finish up with like maybe some, if it is true plantar fasciitis and everything like that, Um, talk about loading the uh, plantar fascia. Brandon, do you do anything about like loading it or trying to work on strengthening that area or anything like that?
1: Uh, well, everything, if anything, I'm going to try and offload it and work on some of the, the other areas to help, and as we talked about before, like attenuate those forces. Mm. So maybe it's working approximately um, at the hip um, or pelvis, preventing that Trendelenburg, working on those obliques, um, maybe restoring some mechanics within in the, the ankle and the foot, uh, the toe, letting that person be able to fully push off the great toe with, with normal mobility or as, as much normalcy as you can get. Um, so, all that, all those forces aren't being placed there. Restoring the mobility of the calcaneus. I mean, that's where the plantar fascia um, attaches to. So, if you can work on that, I work on the, the the individual rays of of each foot. You know, first through fifth, restoring some mobility there. I want that that foot to be able to to move and drive in different uh, planes and ranges of motion because. That's kind of why that's happening. I mean, you look at anyone with a fasciitis, they probably have a stiff foot. So that means all that force is being localized to, like, one or two spots and not dispersed over the the whole entire fascia. Um, so that's kind of really what I'm looking at in terms of there.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I've played around
0: with it, um, like, especially when it comes to, like, you know, putting the towel roll under the the toes um, and started doing some heel raises and stuff like that. And, I mean, I kind of looking at it. It's like, does it really make it better? Does it not? I think I've had some people, especially the, I mean, I'll have some people who are like runners or yoga individuals who don't really do any form of strength training where it seems like that could be beneficial to it but um you know the evidence supports kind of like a i think it's like a 1b uh when it comes to actually strengthening that area so i'll play with it but in the same point what's really going on all right you put a you put a block under the great toe or the all the toes uh with a towel roll or towel like building it up pushing it up and then what are they doing is doing some heel raises on it are they actually you know is it the loading component or is it the fact that they're stretching that area or mobilizing the great toe, which is the issue could be as well. Um, so I think it's, I found it's more beneficial for those individuals that are just overall not, I guess I won't want to say weak, but (laughs) yeah, they're weaker. They're not, they're very cardio or very stretchy individuals, uh, versus the ones that are hyper, high mobile. So I've, Had a handful of yoga individuals or again, runners that seem like they have good mobility um, and then throwing in some loading to the, to the area uh, seems to be better, especially if it's, you know, they can't tolerate it as much, um, you know, with the course of the day or those sort of things. But again, case by case dependent, obviously looking at the whole mechanics of the foot is a certain area just not moving right that's that takes precedence over just purely loading the area mm. so but yeah, completely agree um, but any other pearls of wisdom when it comes to
1: the nah, plan no nah, I, th- I think we, we covered it. Uh, I know we kind of went on enough tangents there and, a lot uh, we'll, we'll cut this one short for our listeners' ears. um we're already at almost at an hour here. So uh yeah, I think that's it on my end. I don't know if you have anything else on your end that you want to kinda wrap up with.
0: Nope I think that's that's pretty good again. Just main summary all put it all together um is yeah you know, make sure that you're looking above and below um looking at those more proximal sources, you know, looking at those nerves. I, I've definitely put a lot more emphasis towards that. Um especially for those cases that purely aren't getting better with your your foot treatments and then uh yeah i think uh, i think we we nailed it all um if you have any questions comments concerns or anything like that please feel free to reach us reach out to us we're at minips and sips on facebook and instagram uh Brian's at think like a fellow and uh at pursue pt now i'm at the decent doctor and uh at trifecta therapeutics love to you know you know, chat about things, help talk about cases or anything like that. Uh, Brandon, you want to talk about the courses or anything like that?
1: Yeah, just uh, for the audience, we have a, a few courses coming up the next um, four months here uh, as we end the quarter, especially in New Jersey, where the credentialing cycle is ending uh, October 12th and 13th. We have a, a two-day course on the cervical thoracic uh, management uh, it's approved for uh, 15 credits. Um, and we're covering things like TMJ, uh, whiplash, uh, headaches, how to treat those, neurodynamics, differential diagnosis. As we, as we talk here in our, our podcast, uh, you know, how to really kind of break down an assessment and, and what we're looking for in that region. Uh, some therex is going to be in that as well, and then uh, a ton of uh, manual therapy uh, techniques, uh, mobilizations, manipulations, neural, uh, neurodynamics, um, November 9th and 10th, we have lumbopelvic management, which covers, um, you know, things different diagnosis, uh, of the low back, low back pain, chronic, um, nonspecific low back pain, neurodynamics for that region. Again, a ton of manual therapy, uh, treatments and then going over how to break down squat and, deadlift and adding those in um, other core exercises to do uh, in that population, blending together and integrating manual therapy and uh, therapeutic exercises or strength conditioning principles. And then probably our most famous course today uh, to date, I should say, is uh, and December 7th and 8th is the spinal manipulation course. Again, uh, it's another two day course approved for 15 credits and that's going to go over, uh, over 20, um, cervical spine or not cervical spine spinal in general spinal manipulation techniques um, and probably even more because we tend to just geek out and go over different variations and, and modifications for uh, outsized therapists and things like that. So, uh, you know, good, good few courses coming up. Uh, hope to see some of you guys there. Uh, if you guys are still looking for some credits or just looking to expand on uh, your clinical uh, treatment skills. Awesome.
0: So hopefully we see, see you guys there. Um, thanks for listening in. Hopefully gathered some pearls of wisdom. And uh, thanks for listening in. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, guys.